and welcome to a newsflash episode of Unpacking the Case, the podcast by David Jones-Bold, the real estate law specialist. As always, I'm joined by our head of legal training, Richard Snape. Hello, Richard. Hello, Lizzie. How are you? I haven't seen you for a while. Yes, we're back to back on podcast recording today. So (laughs) I saw you all of 10 seconds ago before we hit record. Podcast sort of day. Uh, But yeah. Excellent. Well, this time we are talking about alienation, alteration and user covenants. We did a webinar on this a few weeks ago um, and there are some elements, particularly in relation to alteration and user covenants that we didn't fully cover. So I think we're going to go into a bit more detail on some of those. I don't know where you want to start. About alteration covenants, um, uh, because I'll I'll give you the background, shall I? Uh, Yes, please. Okay, I'll give you the background. It's obviously alteration covenants are one of the major covenants in, in, in commercial leases, and you know, we're dealing with this from the point of view of leaseholds. Um, you can either have absolute covenants against alteration, you can't alter full stop. You can have qualified covenants against alterations not to alter without the landlord's consent. And you can have fully qualified covenants not to alter without consent, not to be unreasonably withheld. One of the problems with uh, landlords with qualified covenants is that um, section 19, subsection two of the Landlord and Tenant Act 1927 uh, says if the covenants, you know, if the work you want to do constitutes an improvement, then it's subject to a reasonableness test. The landlord can't unreasonably withhold consent. Uh, And there was a case uh, back in the 1930s, 1937, called F.W. Woolworth and Lambert, which basically said whether something's an improvement is always taken from the point of view of the land, uh, from the tenant. It's a, from an improvement. An improvement is from the point of view of the tenant and not the landlord. Uh, so it's very easy for the tenants to actually argue, why would we want to do something to alter the premises if it's, uh, constitutes if it doesn't constitute an improvement for us? The landlords can actually claim compensation for diminishing value of the the property or neighbouring properties that they own. Um, But uh, that's why landlords, if it's something, especially on the shorter leases, like structural alterations, uh, you tend to have an absolute ban. Um, uh, But especially, perhaps not with the shorter leases, but, you know, the head leases of 150 years and the likes, you don't want absolute bans uh, on various things because who knows what's going to have to happen in the next 150 years. You know, life expectancy is probably only 40 or 50 years. Um, and I suppose the thing that tenants are going to have to start thinking about and alterations left, right and centre in the future, not just on the long leases, is alterations in relation to energy efficiency. You know, heating, lighting systems, ventilation systems, all these kind of things, air conditioning systems. You can bet in not even longish leases, you know, by the end of those leases, tenants are going to have to start thinking about altering, which is, of course, in its own right, quite honestly. But I wanted to sort of dwell on how um, even if you've got an absolute ban on alterations, not to alter full stop, it it might be subject to... uh, question whether tenants the tenants might be able still to do something about it what can tenants do in relation to absolute bans on alterations well there's one thing that uh, might just happen is that the landlord can always waive the absolute bar just like they can on 
no alienation user or whatever. Um, but uh, there is one problem with that. Um, what is the problem? Well, it's because of a, a case. It was actually a residential case, a Supreme Court case from 2020, May of 2020, in the mid, you know, during the first lockdown. Uh, yeah. yeah, all those years ago. Yeah. Um, they, um, it's a case called Duval and 11 to 13 Randolph Crescent, uh, which was a management co residence management company for the premises. Uh, it was a, I think there were nine flats. It was, you know, some series of townhouses that had been converted into flats. And the leases were from 1981, 125-year leases. And uh, Dr. Duval was a tenant of a couple of these long leases. Dr. Duval, I have to say, is a very cool-sounding name. Um, but uh sounds like they should be in some American pop movie. Yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, another tenant of one of the long leases in the same block at a lovely leaseholder was uh, a Mrs. Winfield. Uh, the leases had clauses in them, commonplace clauses, uh, not to alter without consent, which again is subject to that reasonableness test if the alteration is an improvement. Uh, but they also had provision in whereby uh, if you wanted to cut into or injure or maim the wall or ceiling or roof or services, then it was subject to an absolute ban on, on alterations. But Mrs. Winfield wanted to knock down part of a low-bearing wall in the basement of her flat. And uh, she asked the landlord's consent. After the landlord had been provided with evidence of you know, the, the work to be done and, and specifications and the likes, uh, the landlord was minded to waive the obligation, you know, the, the absolute ban. But the Dr. Duval and her husband objected to this, you know, to the other leaseholders. There was another clause, which is not uncommon in leases, uh, whereby it was clause 3.19, as I recollect, whereby uh, to enforce, or you should enforce uh, covenants in relation to alterations at the behest or request of any of the other tenants or any of the tenants. And so Dr. Duval argued um, that... Um, it must be implicit in those circumstances that you wouldn't waive the absolute ban on alterations because she'd objected to this. And it surprised a lot of people at the time in 2020, and it really changed the law. Uh, the Supreme Court agreed uh, with that. Only one, if you've got that clause, you know, you've got to, you, know, you should enforce at the behest of any of the tenants. Any of those tenants can stop you uh, waiving those obligations, you know. So that's one issue with that. You can't necessarily assume where it's in the best interest, perhaps, of the leaseholder and the landlord. You can waive the obligations, but there are other things you can do. What are they? The uh, well, I won't spend too long on it because it's perhaps for other people. Uh, there's anti-discriminatory legislation, for instance, has been since the uh, Original Disability Discrimination Act. Uh, in the 1990s and subsequent disability discrimination acts and also the equality act of 2010 um if you've got an absolute covenant against alterations but you uh, want to alter 
in connection with, say, disability access or to prevent disability discrimination, it's subject to being qualified. You've got to get the landlord's consent, but they can't, for fairly obvious reasons, unreasonably withhold consent. So you've got that in relation to disability. Is there anything else, Richard? Yeah, well, I also wanted to talk about... um, it's not well used, and I can only think of three reported cases, and one of those is not particularly you know, satisfactory. Um, they can use part one, sections one to three of the, the 27 Landlord and Tenant Act. Um, not just in relation to allowing alterations, but also getting compensation for alterations. And it's perhaps not used as much as it should be used, and it's not known about as much as it should be. Uh, it can't be excluded. Um it basically applies uh, where the the leaseholder is running a trade or business or profession. There's a few exceptions like agricultural land and mining leases. Um, but uh, if they want to improve the premises, and there's a method, as I'll come back to, whereby they might just have a right to improve, but also get compensation for the improvements at the end of the lease. It doesn't apply if the improvements are through a statutory obligation or required by the the actual lease itself. So building leases where you've got a long lease on the basis that you build the building, that would be an obligation. So you can't claim compensation there. It doesn't apply as well if you want to do the improvements in the last three years of the lease. So it is sort of limited like that. Shall I go through fairly briefly the process? Yes, please. Well, I mean, it basically, it applies, as I said, to improvements, if you want to improve. There was a case back in the 1930s, 1939, called National Electric Theatre in Hudgel, I think it is, Hugnall, um, which said that includes sort of demolishing and reconstructing. You've got to give landlords notice, together with specifications and plans, uh, what you want to do. And the landlords basically got three months to counter notice. If they don't, you can go ahead with the improvements. Um, uh, and if they do object, then you uh, can apply to a tribunal for a decision. And the tribunal is supposed to take into account things like, you know, does it add to the letting value? Is it reasonable and suitable in relation to the character of the premises? And then, like, does it diminish the value of, of neighboring landlord properties? And can make a decision and basically allow you to go ahead with the improvements and more than that. At the end of the lease, uh, the tenant can claim compensation for the improvements. Uh, basically, based on either the there's, there's a sort of cap, well, there's two caps. One is where it's based on the um, you can only claim up to the you know the increased value of the land, you know, the, of the property. But also, you can only you know if the landlord wants to redevelop at the end of the lease, then that's going to affect things. Uh, or, and you can also only claim um, up to the costs of doing the work minus any costs for repairs and the likes that you know that need to be done. So there is a cap, but it's it's worth knowing about. There was a case, the last case I can remember on it was in 1990, Court of Appeal case, Hogarth Health Club and Westbourne Investments in London, which said uh, you know you've got to go through the process first. You can't sort of do the improvements and then apply. If the landlord at the end of the, it doesn't have to, it doesn't really affect him, but at the end of the improvements, the landlord can be asked to give a certificate that, you know, 
this is all satisfactory. And if they won't, then you can go off to the tribunal to get one. It's obviously not something for the high street, but I don't know why it's not used perhaps a bit more often. Uh, in relation to, this is the thing I think that, you know, this applies that you can't contract out of this. And section three, subsection four basically says that, uh, as we mentioned, if the landlord doesn't respond or says no and the tribunal decides otherwise, you can go ahead with the improvements anyway, regardless of whether you want to claim compensation. So even if it's an absolute ban on alterations, you know, you can go through that process. Mm. What about um, user covenants? What could we do in relation to those with leases? And sort of not be bound by them. Well, the, the problem with user covenants is there's no sort of similar to Section 19.2, you know, if it's qualified not to be unreasonably withheld. There's just provision in Section 19.3 of the Landlord and Tenant Act that uh, uh, if you've got a qualified covenant, basically you can unreasonably you know, withhold consent, but you can't add to the rent or a, a pre-charge a premium. Um, which is why tenants should aspire to, to sort of fully qualified not to change use without consent, uh, uh, not to be unreasonably withheld. But there is one thing that, again, people don't realise. It's uh, Section 84 of the, the Law of Property Act 1925, which allows you to go off to a tribunal to uh, modify or discharge restrictive covenants generally. And most people tend to think of it as freehold covenants. Section 8412 uh, applies to leasehold covenants as long as the lease is more than 40 years and once uh, 25 years have expired. So obviously the longer leases, but uh, again, probably the ones where you want a change of use or change of circumstances. Um, and uh, you, know, you can go after tribunal, most notably because the covenants are obsolete or because they prevent reasonable use of the land and don't secure practical benefits of substantial value or they, uh, or they, um, uh, well, they're contrary to public interest is the wording. Just to finish off, then, are there any recent cases that illustrate any of this? Yeah, there was a case back in so, 2019, uh, up a tribunal case called Shaverham Normandy, Basingstoke and Dean Borough Council. Uh, I know the very premises for my numerous trips to Basingstoke by the station, Normandy House. Uh, it was uh, 19, mid 1980s, the head lease uh, by some of the uh, leaseholders were basing the council with the um, with the landlords. And uh, the head lease was originally with somebody called Greytown Investments. Not a good name. Uh, but uh, they, um, they'd granted, uh, I think it was a 20-year lease in the mid-1980s of this property that was new at the time to IBM, the IBM uh, building that IBM vacated in May of tw uh, 2015 and the property was empty and getting vandalized and falling into disrepair. Um, and uh, Sharon Normandy purchased the, uh, uh, the, the the long lease intending to do residential development converted into 114 flats. It was currently offices, uh, but they needed landlord's consent um, and the landlords refused consent because they wanted offices uh, it was going to be part of their huge 65-acre office area in the middle of Basingstoke by the station. I'm, thinking, I'm not sure Basingstoke needs more offices, but they... Um, and they... Uh, Sharon Normandy went off to the tribunal 
And amongst other things, the tribunal decided you're preventing reasonable use of land and it doesn't, you know, it's contrary to public interest. We're told there's a shortage of housing. Uh, and in fact, uh, by having offices, the value of the reversion will go up slightly from 3 million to 3.125 million. The rental will go down slightly, but not significantly. Uh, and so the covenants were modified to allow 114 flats. So there are things you can do even in relation to user covenants where they're not fully qualified, you know, not subject to a reasonableness test. You can use on the longer leases, admittedly, Section 8412. So yeah. there we go, a few areas for landlords, perhaps and leaseholders and developers to think about. Yeah, covenants. plenty to... Always exact as you might think. Thank you, Richard. Plenty to, um, to digest there, I think. Yeah, well, um... thanks a lot. Until next time, Lizzie. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Richard, and thank you to everybody for listening. We'll see you again in our next episode.